After the original scheduled time, uh, we're finally getting rolling this morning. We've had some technical hiccups, but we overcame them and managed to communicate the the new NetMoot link to about five people. <laughs> so uh, I think that's good. We're, we're good to go. That's right. <laughs> uh, but that aside, this is a this is a really exciting episode because we're talking about um, um, sort of the beginning beginning of the downfall of Feanor and the strife between Feanor and Fingolfin, which uh, is a really exciting topic and, of course, one of the more dramatic stories uh, in the early part of the Silmarillion. So how about we get started and quit worrying about the schedule? That's um, right. I am joined, as always, by the Tolkien maven Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor Corey Olson. And uh, I'm glad you guys finally, I'm glad we finally worked this out and uh, managed to get started this morning. Phew! Yeah. You know, it's, it was a test of our ingenuity. And exactly. also of testing to make sure people were watching alternative communication channels. That's right. <laughs> to get the notification. That's right. That's true. That's right. Let this be a lesson to you, folks. You, you need to be on high alert whenever... Uh... <laughs> whenever there's a session scheduled. Yeah. <laughs> Because you never know. Well, I'm going to uh, – I may have to leave just briefly, but I'm sure Corey has plenty to say, so I will step back in. All right. Yeah. Well, I have, you know, a thing or two to say. So, hi, everybody. Good morning. Uh, uh, first, let me start with uh, two quick announcements that um, – we uh i i don't want to forget to do uh first is i think i've mentioned before that registration is actually maybe i haven't because it actually wasn't true last time registration is now open for MythMoot 4 uh which is uh which is going to be awesome so MythMoot 4 is going to be from june 1st to the 4th it's a four-day conference this year we're starting thursday night and going through sunday uh, uh through sunday afternoon that's June 1st through, 1st through 4th. It's going to be uh, uh, in Virginia, just south of Washington, D.C., very convenient to uh, to D.C. airports. Uh, it's going to be at the National Conference Center, which is a really fun – it's going to be by far the coolest venue we've ever had. Um, and uh, it's uh, it, it's going to be – I am so looking forward to MythMoot this year. This, this is going to be, without question, the biggest and best conference we've ever done. Um, so I encourage you, if you go to MythGuard.org, you can find the page for – MythMoot 4, uh, and there's a registration link on that now, so you can register to uh, to join us. So that is news number one. News number two um, is we have um, a new MythGuard Academy class that's going to be starting up soon. Now, that itself is not strange. We do these quite regularly and have been doing them for some time, um, but we are at a very important point right now. Um, those of you who have been following the MythGuard Academy know that the MythGuard Academy is a series of classes where you know we do close readings and discussions of 
of books that are chosen by our electorate, our electorate, which is formed of the donors who support Signum University. Everyone who donates uh, gets to vote, and and uh, and many of those who do, who who donate a hundred dollars or more get to nominate uh, the books that they would like to see done and 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 discuss that. Um, so it's really fun, and it's been really cool. And what they what our our voters being the awesome uh, 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 the awesome set of dorks that they are have chosen the history of Middle Earth series, and that's what we've been doing, which has just been so much fun. So we've been going, marching our way through the history of Middle Earth series, um, uh, you know, some of which is like so hardcore that it makes a film film project seem lightweight. And uh, we have, but we've gotten to a really exciting point. We are starting The Return of the Shadow, which is volume one of the history of the Lord of the Rings series. So um, if you are interested in studying with me the records of the early manuscript history of the Lord of the Rings um, and how Tolkien came, you know, if you want to work with me through Tolkien's thought process and writing process in uh, in, in, in writing, you know, in the, in, in the emergence of the Lord of the Rings, uh, this is your opportunity to do that live. Um, I don't have the schedule worked out yet. That will be coming soon, but that will be starting in December. So I just wanted to kind of put that on people's radar screen, keep an eye out for that in social media and on the mythguard.org page. Uh, and we'll have another update. I think we'll be starting after the next, uh, film film episode. So I'll have more definite details for you then, but I just wanted to, uh, to make sure that that was on uh, that was on people's people's radar screens because it's going to be awesome. So <clears throat> those are my two announcements for this morning. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, the 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 um, the seminar sounds really exciting. That's going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm 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 psyched. The whole history of Middle Earth series has actually been hugely fun. Um, yeah. And, uh, but this, this was, uh, this is something that I've been looking forward to and we've been kind of counting down to for a while. We, uh, people admirably chose to do the history of Middle Earth in order and to do them all, um, one by one, you know, it, they, they, they kept winning the votes, but everybody's been really excited to get to the history of the Lord of the Rings. So, well, it's just, they're so the, the multiple revisions of, I mean, the, you know, cause the Lord of the, like, obviously I love the Silmarillion, like most of the people who, uh, who uh, listen to this or, or participate in the, the seminars, but Lord of the Rings is, is fixed in our popular imagination. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah. have seen movies and stuff. So when you go back and you read the, those early versions of it, it's just, like, you know, when, like, <laughs> when Strider's a hobbit with uh, wooden clogs and stuff. Exactly. It's, really, it's, it's very interesting and amusing. Exactly. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's so much fun. And the thing is, is that the history of the Lord of the Rings books, I know they're not, like, the easiest read in the world, right, to go back and, like, and now let's look at the fifth draft of Chapter 3. And, you know, <laughs> um, it, you know it's it's... I think kind of going through that in this environment where you have lots of other people who are doing it with you and, and, you know, and I'll be doing the classes to kind of, you know, guide our discussion uh, and stuff through is just a really great chance to kind of do that in that sort of a, that sort of a classroom environment um, rather than just kind of reading it on your own, which I know is, is, uh, is, is often hard for people to kind of persevere in uh, even though it's fun and cool. So so yeah, I stepped away for a minute. So you're talking about the Academy. Yeah, yeah, we're talking about the the Return of the Shadow class that's come, that's uh, starting soon in December. And I'm finishing up my all of my coursework for my whole entire master's degree. So now I can attend those classes. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, 
Cool. All right. So let's then uh, uh, jump into, um, you know, the film film project, which is what we're here to talk about. So uh, today we are doing the episode which I have been uh, calling in my head uh, the kin strife, um, which is we need to bring Fingolfin and Feanor into conflict and have the drawing of the sword of Feanor on Fingolfin and then ultimately his banishment. So, um, there are a number of things that we need to, um, sort out here. First of all, we need to think about what needs to happen with Fanor. We've been trying to resist in our discussions of Fanor to this point. We've, we've kept saying things like, well, we can't just make him a jerk from the beginning, right? You know, like we, we, we have to let him be sympathetic. We have to, we have to be able to, to admire him enough if everybody hates him from day one, then like the story is not going to have the impact that it's meant to have. So we've been really resisting making him a jerk. It's time for him to become a jerk. Um, you know, like this is the time <laughs> when that happens, but obviously we need to think of, you know, we need to do that in interesting ways. Um, and we need to have a progression. Like what is the thing? What, what is it that pushes him? What drives him? What is his issue exactly? Uh, with Fingolfin, um, but first, let's let's start off as 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 we so often do, and and you know seems um, uh, uh, is important for us to keep in mind. That is what needs to happen, right? So, in order to get him drawing his sword on Fingolfin, in order to get Feanor drawing his sword on Fingolfin, we not only need to bring the the tension between the two brothers to the point where that makes any kind of sense. Um, but we also need to um, get him a sword, right? Um, that's a that's a that's a, a major stage we're taught we, we're, we're we're told about. Oop, sorry, had some random notification coming in there. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's ob- that obviously needs to happen. Um, and we talked about this last time, right? We had the, the, the making of the making of, 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 of armor and shields and, you know, heraldic stuff. The stockpiling of weapons is something that needs to happen. Um, so that, that's a preliminary stage, um, to the drawing of his sword, obviously. Um, because I mean, and not just in the really simplistic sense of like he must have a sword in order to draw it upon his brother, um, which is perfectly obvious. But what's more, like the whole attitude that le- you know that leads to the forging of of deadly swords and the stockpiling thereof uh, needs to needs to, you know. So how 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 do we build the rationale for that, and how do we connect that with his rivalry uh, with his brother? Um, and I'm interested in kind of just like the overall kind of tone and attitude. We can't have him just as we didn't want him to be a jerk from the beginning. We also can't have him suddenly flip the jerk switch either. You know, I mean, it's uh, we want his just as we have done with Melkor. We want his, you know, descent into jerkdom to be uh, understandable and even in a sense sympathetic. Um, yeah, so. Wait, did we decide, Nick? Now, see here, I'm, as always, I'm forgetting what I said last week. Did uh, uh, did we decide that they were going to build their swords last time? I thought we were separating armor and swords, and we were doing armor last time, but not yet swords. I thought we talked about the fact that Orme was the one that kind of uh, got them going to, so they could go hunting. So they could go and hunting. I was under the impression 
question. It was everything. I thought it was armor and swords. Yeah, yeah I thought it was, it was everything too. Weapons from Middle Earth, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all good. All right. right. So we did that then. So that's nice. Um, and it would be even nicer if I remember these kinds of things. But okay. But still, <laughs> the attitude has to change, right? The difference comes in wearing them in Valmar. That's what we were talking about doing this this session, this episode. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I remember but they won't was... do it last episode, but this right. episode they start to wear it. Yeah. Right. Um, and of course, it's it's nice because that lays the seeds in the previous episode. You know, we we have this movement towards rebellion, right? They're not rebelling yet, but mm-hmm. but they're ready to rebel, right? Because they're already thinking about going back to Middle Earth, and wouldn't that be nice to go back to Middle Earth? Um, but it's not yet come to we are going to leave in defiance of you yet. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Marie, that's what I remembered, that they were they were uh indulging in, in heraldic adornments, uh, but right. they were not yet wearing their swords publicly in Valor. Yeah. 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 That's right. Okay. So yeah, so that, that, that changes and that needs to be a significant change. Remember that one of the other things that we need to happen in that needs to happen in this scene, which is re- related uh, in, very importantly to Feanor's character, is the withholding of the Silmarils. So remember, he he sees he he begins to deny the sight of them to all but himself and his sons, right? Um, so that uh, that needs to be a thing as well. We need to have him not only beginning to be more belligerent. Uh, you know, more militant, not only in his preparations, but in his actions, right? So it's not, it's not only we would kind of, you know, we, 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 we sort of are, are thinking about the evil in Middle Earth and wanting to prepare for, like, thinking we should do something, right? Probably with the Valar's blessing, right? Obviously, with the Valar's blessing, we would, you know, but, but maybe there's some great work over in Middle Earth that we and the Valar would do together, right? So let's prepare for it. That would kind of be the, the original spirit of the thing. Um, as they are initially kind of fired up with excitement about the concept of returning to Middle Earth. Um, but there has to be a, sh- I, I would think that we can connect those two things very easily from, I am making weapons in order to maybe participate alongside the Valar with a reconquest of Middle Earth or a, uh, you know, a cleansing of Middle Earth or whatever, um, to, I am on guard against those around me. Right. I am not. A, I am. I am. Because it's 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 such a huge shift. Um, it's such a huge shift to say, I want to do, you know, sort of just ambition. I would like to go back to Middle Earth. I would like to, you know, be a big man. I, you know, I would like to, to go and, and make and rule a realm maybe um, to. I am against those who are around me, not only the Valar, but also my brother. I mean, it's a it's a big shift that we need to get Feanor to um, in this episode. Marie asked a good question. Where's the paranoia coming from? Right. Um, my initial thought is it's, you know, planted by Melkor, but that doesn't really answer the question. <laughs> right, exactly. You know. Well... He's already insecure, right? I mean, there's a certain insecurity in him in terms of what his brothers. I mean, there's things that there's seeds we've been sowing from his childhood toward this moment. 
right? Right. And the 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 problem, um, as uh, Marie, I think it was you that were bring was bringing this up on the discussion boards. One of the the sort of interesting psychological issues here is that it's kind of tempting to attribute Feanor's twitchiness to insecurity, right? You know, like he's insecure, you know, he's, he's in some sense emotionally insecure and that's what kind of leads to, leads to the issues, except why would he be emotionally insecure? Like he's the best and the greatest, like he doesn't have rivals or I, or I mean, like if he does, he beats them all. I mean, there's there. Well, we still have the mommy issue thing. Exactly. The mommy issue is all we've got basically. And, and we know, and we're told explicitly that the, what, you know, what bothers him it's not that he necessarily, I think, thinks that Fingolfin is just making a power play, right, and trying to seize power or usurp his father or something. It's usurping his place in his father's heart that right. is the issue, right? So it's got to be mommy issues and through the mommy issues, daddy issues, right? right. Um, that's kind of that's kind of all we have because again, he's not he's not jealous of others. Why should he be jealous of others? I mean, he, okay, he's jealous of his own status and jealous of his own stuff but that we show him of that we show him doing that with the Silmarils right when he he begins to sort of protect not not want to share them with anybody else that's what I mean right. by jealousy of course um, but, why, but why should he be jealous of anything anybody else has right question. exactly I mean he has nothing right. to envy of any other person right unless it's okay no the one thing he has to envy is the fact that like um the fact that Fingolfin and Finarfin too, but apparently that's less of an issue. Um, that Fingolfin has like a mommy and a daddy, right? Um, yeah. And now, Marie, Marie, Marie uh, triggers something for me. She says uh, the, the last greatest thing he makes are the Silmarils. Has he has he hit his peak? I wonder if that maybe could be a fear of his. That could stoke the paranoia or the, or the insecurity. You know that. He's he's done, you know. He's done. This is it. He's finished, and that definitely would hit him hard, ego wise. Mm-hmm. Maybe I I I I find that plausible. Like if he did think that, then uh, he would have that reaction. What I have a hard time with is imagining um, imagining that. He does think that. That doesn't seem to me very Feanorian, really. Yeah, you think he's, he's just so narcissistic it wouldn't even. I mean, his his because honestly, I I do think his issue is not envy, and his issue is not. I mean, it's 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 pride. It's thinking too much of himself, um, and of course, pr- proud people can be insecure, but I. I don't think that's his kind of insecurity. Like he, we're talking about somebody who seems genuinely to believe that he can go toe to toe with a Vala and win. Right. I mean, I, I don't think he's, I mean, he's deluded, but he's thoroughly deluded about that. He really thinks that highly of himself and he kind of has some reason to. Um, so, so yeah, I don't, I don't really like the idea that he, is afraid that he also, I kind of, here's, here's my other problem. I think that whole, that whole anxiety, like, am I ever going to do anything as good as the Silmarils again? You know, have I peaked as a, as a, as an artist, right? That strikes me as a very human fear, 
right? I, th- that that fear has mortality written all over it to me. Um, I, that doesn't strike me as any you know, in the ways in which we've talked before about wanting to try to convey something of the alien mindset of the immortal race, right? Um, that strikes me as a very human way of looking at things. Um, right. A human artist might say, am I ever going to exceed this again? Because the subtext of that, I think, is at least in part, I mean, after all, you know, how much time do I have left, right? Um, whereas Feanor, you know, he, 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 he has the conviction that he, the, the Silmarils are a thing he can make only once. But I, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. That's my other problem with this too. Not only does that, motivation to strike to me, strike uh, smack of mortality to me but also i think that his looking at the silmarils as the apex of his artistic career should not happen until he misses them right not until they're gone um we're going right. to ta- we're going to take away from the emotional impact of his sense of the loss of the silmarils when he hears that they've been stolen um it's only right. then that it should come crushing down on him at the moment that you know uh, and it, well, no, not not only then when he's asked to give them up first, which is right before he learns that he's lost them, right? So we get the double whammy, right? First, give them up and and break them, right? Is what he's being asked to do, and then second, uh, oh, and by the way, they're gone anyhow. So I mean, those are the I I want to save this stuff for that, right? Um, so I don't think it's I don't think it's I, I don't think it's any sense of artistic inadequacy, but first and foremost because I don't think he has any sense of artistic inadequacy, and I can't imagine it being inspired in him. Um, so that just drives me back to the mommy issues, you know. Um, but okay, how do we handle? How do we make him envious? of Fingolfin's relationship with his father when we've already established that he's daddy's favorite and he's manifestly daddy's favorite, right? right. I mean, Finway's going to go into banishment with him for crying out loud. It's obvious to everybody that he's Finway's favorite. Um, so why is he upset? Like what's, what's his, what's his, what's his deal? Um, It is kind of this is a this is a this is the kind of thing that um this is when we need a song and dance number. Right, this, this sort of thing where where the the as described in the film really and it's sort of that level of detail it's easy to kind of gloss over and let the reader fill in the details of their uh, with their imagination, yes. but, uh, actually choosing a concrete portrayal, you know, kind of, <laughs> or being forced to choose a concrete portrayal, kind of realizes makes you realize like it's 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 kind of challenging, sort of exactly what might happen. I mean, it, it sort of what it makes you. I think for me, what it makes me realize is that really just I know we don't want to portray Ben Golfin as a as a jerk, and we want him to have an arc. Right. But really, the most likely explanation is that he's just a jerk to begin with. That would be interesting. I mean, it would be... All right, let's toy with that for a second. Obviously. Okay. okay. We all agree that Fingolfin is awesome, or at least that we want him to be awesome. I mean, you know, and his final duel with Morgoth should be... 
one of the most tragic moments of the whole series, right? We all agree with that. But that doesn't mean he has to be the golden awesome boy from day one, necessarily. He just needs to get there. Um, and what if... What if... Actually, I actually... So just, amusingly, I meant to say Feanor, but, uh, but actually this is an interesting thought pro- uh, trajectory as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, so I'm just picking up oh, see, uh, the chance if chance you call it. Um, yeah. What if that's true? What if, what if Fingolfin really is an irritant? What if he is actually disrespectful to Feanor? What if... That could be... I mean, that's an interesting... I mean, that would be a good way to have actual arcs, right? Like that's, we could, that's what we could I'm thinking. Feanor be sympathetic and be driven to, to, to poor behavior by his irritating little brother. Yes. And the irritating little brother can kind of, once the bad stuff happens, his sort of more heroic side can come out. But he has to sort of rise to the occasion. Because, see, Feanor doesn't have to be insecure to be insufferable to others, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Feanor... Let's face it. Fanor would be the worst big brother of all time. I mean, could you imagine oh, being Fanor's little brother? I mean, terrible. holy cow. Yes, my big brother, who is like the best in absolutely everything. And also he, you know, dad loves him best very transparently. Uh, to have then... So and then to have Feanor come around and accuse Fingolfin of trying to usurp his place in his father's heart. Well, maybe Fingolfin is trying to usurp his place in his father's heart. Maybe like, you know, he is kind of understandably resentful of the place he doesn't have in his father. Fingolfin is resentful of the place he doesn't have in his father's heart. See, I know I know like. My, I, 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 if you are listening to me talk about this and feeling like deep-seated revulsion to the idea of making Fingolfin anything but a wholly admirable character, believe me, I'm right there with you. I am having the same reaction to my own words as I'm saying this. But the more I say this, the more this sounds to me like a story that works in ways yeah. that I'm not or that I have. That it's exactly what I've been struggling with is trying to make the Feanor story work. Um if there's something really there, um, if there's something really there, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and Marie, we can blame Melkor. See, that's something we can show, like, um, we could show that easily, right? All Melkor has to do is pick up on the fact that Fingolfin is probably irritated about being the, the, you know, the, 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 the younger kid brother of the golden boy. Finarfin is fine, right? Finarfin has no desire to compete, but Fingolfin being in a, you know, having more, you know, being the kind of natural leader and, 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 you know, he, he's, he's the person who would be in conflict with Feanor, whereas Finarfin is just like Mr. Peacemaker, right? So he's, he's Mr. Peace, he's like, he's Captain Contentment, right? So he's, he doesn't have an issue, but Fingolfin does have an issue. And all, all Melkor would have to do is see that and just make a point of praising Feanor all the time in front of Fingolfin, right? It would be the easiest thing in the world for him just to be like, you are so fortunate in your brother, you know? Your brother is just the most awesome thing ever. And and just like constantly, constantly twist the knife. No, Nick, I'm not making him a villain. 
Um, it's no, no, not at all. No, he's just very friendly and praising. Th- but but we can see like how it how it irritates Fingolfin uh, to see uh, 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 you know Fanor be praised all the time. Um, again, what 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 I'm doing is I've been wanting to he's do. Not a, he's not a villain. He's a classic middle child. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 exactly. Fingolfin has cause th- th- psychologically that really seems to work that he would envy his brother, um, and especially when his brother is manifestly the favorite of his father. And what would he do? A middle child who is not only a middle child but the eldest child of a second marriage of his father, mm-hmm. when his father manifestly, pref- you know, uh, has his elder half-brother by his father's first marriage as his favorite, what would he do? Go to his mom, right? Probably. Like, he would compete for his father. But he would... And and so, therefore, Fingolfin would be... Since Fingolfin would basically be... Probably be close to his mom, um, uh, since he can't get close to his dad as much, since his dad is, is, is on Fanor all the time... Therefore, Fingolfin would also become identified in Fanor's mind with Indus and with, therefore, with his mommy issues. So you can see a kind of transference, right, of the sort of resentment Fanor still feels against Indus could, would then transfer to Fingolfin as well. I like it. Psychologically, this works. And we don't have to make, we don't have to make Fingolfin a complete, you know, twit. He, you know, he doesn't have to be like annoying to be annoyed. You know, right? Um, right. And he doesn't have to. Feanor doesn't have to be the one who absolutely initiates the conflict. Yep. He just has to be the one who escalates it past the totally unacceptable point. Like it's, you know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna get banished. Over the two of them wrangling, you know, uh, 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 sort of being rivals of each other. Um, what is going to like it's crossing the line and I mean, because drawing drawing a sword on his brother, that is such a huge deal. It's not just a huge deal in the sense of like. I mean, obviously, I would consider it a big deal if my sons argue which they kind of do all the time and you know if they escalated to throwing punches at each other like that's a line that they crossed that i would not be okay with right even though i'm not okay with them wrangling anyway right but this is obviously this is more than that and it's not just because it's the threat of deadly force it's the breaking of the peace of valinor like it is it is it is them going in a direct it is feanor's going in a direction that like nobody even should have gone in um it's a it's it's a fundamentally countercultural move, you know, for him to think like, I am going to, I am threatening you with, I'm threatening to slay you is something that is so, I mean, again, if, if one of my brothers, if one of my sons punched his brother, I would consider that inappropriate, but I wouldn't consider it completely outside the scope of like possible behavior. It would just be an inappropriate escalation of a thing that's already there. Right. But that's not true in Valinor. And do you see what I mean? Well, also, 
What if your uh, What if your son suddenly appeared in handmade armor with a handmade <laughs> sword and drew it on his brother? Well, see, that's a funny example because they do that all the time. Um, <laughs> so actually, like, what if my son's wearing homemade armor would be a normal day, really. Um, uh, but, that, but that's the point, is that it's not a normal day in Valinor. Like, the, 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 like you have weapons and you use them. Again, I, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't um, uh, well, okay, I mean, like, to extend that even further, right? Um, my younger son is uh, 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 doing his, his black belt pretest in karate tomorrow. Okay. So my eight year old son is almost a black belt. My 13 year old son is not. Um, so my eight year old could like open up a can on his big brother, right? Uh, that, that could happen on any given day. And there have been days when it's been close, right? So if he like actually applied the martial arts that he's been learning to damaging his brother, um, that would be a paradigm shift in the wrangling that they always have. But it wouldn't be like, nevertheless, like, I don't disapprove of him studying karate because I want him to be prepared to defend himself in case someone attacks him that like somebody might attack you and you might have to someday use deadly force to defend yourself is a thing, right? Like that's a paradigm that I am, that I am aware of and comfortable of. And that's why I myself encourage him in, in, in learning karate and indeed learn it myself. So, but that's the thing. Like it's not just, it's inappropriate for you to do that to your brother. It's, it's not even appropriate to be thinking in a way that would lead you to wanting to learn that. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the kind of the, the, when he draws his sword, that's the kind of transgression that it is. It's not just, okay, buddy, back off now. Time to, you know, time for time out for you, fan, or until you, you know, this is, you know, obviously we can't go that far with our brother, but just what happened to you? How did that, how could you possibly even be thinking in these directions? Why, why is anyone drawing a weapon on anybody for any reason, really anywhere, but especially here, here, here in Valinor, right? I mean, it's, it's not even, it's not even a thing. Um, so yeah, see, see, Murray, I, 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 uh, I think it's 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 worse than a kid showing up at school with a gun. That's a better example in the sense of like being an obvious crossing a line, right? Um, like yes, you might feel threatened or whatever, but you can't bring a gun to school, right? That's just like there there are rules against that for real good reasons, right? But it's not even that. Fanor's not. It's 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 it would be like bringing a gun to school if guns hadn't been invented yet or like bringing a gun to school if no one had ever been violent against anybody else before bringing like you you brought a gun to school when there's never been a bully in the history of the world right and and for the first time you bring a gun to school and draw it on somebody right i mean it's i i i i want to make sure we don't lose the enormity of <laughs> that choice to not only say, I'm going to, I'm going to escalate our personal conflict to the threat of, of, of lethal violence, but that lethal violence against anyone, much less your brother, but anyone in Valinor is even needed like that. That's even on the, that that even should ever be even theoretically on the table is crazy. 
um, is is a complete and very bad uh, paradigm shift. Do you see? Do you see? I mean, now several people, Ruth and Nick, are both thinking about Cain and Abel. It is kind of like Cain and Abel uh, in a sense, um, in the sense oh, yeah. that like no one had shed blood before, right? So that. Uh, um, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, well, and and honestly, it's not just it's just like Cain and Abel. Um, I've always uh, felt it fairly clearly to be a, a, a typological reference to Cain and Abel, actually. Um, so, like, yes, it's 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 there. it's there. Sorry, I'm just laughing because I just got a I just got a notification from Twitter uh, that Jordan Brown from the Silmarillion. From, from 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 the Silmarillion seminar, uh, just just tweeted. Dave just tweeted uh, my idea of Fingolfin being a resentful kid brother who provokes Feanor, and Jordan Brown responded by saying, "Unsubscribe." Uh, <laughs> 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 those of you, you know, who, he wasn't going to be happy with that. Yeah, one. <laughs> those of you who remember the seminar will remember Jordan Brown's. Uh, High level of identification with Fingolfin. That's wholly unsurprising. Saying it very mildly. (laughs) But anyway, um, yeah. So so okay. So, but again, that's that's the challenge, right? Because it's not only we need to we need to come up with a you know sort of a a psychological plot arc, which makes such that you know if we had two decently well adjusted brothers um you know in like our familiar world um we not only need to have uh, to 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 have what happens with them be convincing in our own context right like bringing two brothers you know one to draw his sword upon another one basically to draw a gun on on the other right and threaten him with lethal violence that takes some doing, right? Even in a, even in a, like a modern drama within our own cultural context, in order to make that really believable, we'd have a good bit of work to do. Uh, what we have, the work we have to do here is way, way, way more profound than that. Um, so, and the other thing that we have to make sure of, right? In order for the banishment to make sense, we have to make sure we get there. To the to the, the the kind of profound countercultural line crossing that I've been that I've been trying to uh, to describe. If we don't get there, then the banishment is going to seem arbitrary, I think, um, or even dictatorial on the part of the Valar, um, and it's not. It actually it does make sense. It's perfectly appropriate under the circumstances. Um, but but wait, just just a minute. What if it is kind of dictatorial or over or an overreaction? Uh, let's. What if, what if we hear, yeah, or, or rather, maybe I was, not maybe not dictatorial, but what if we can? What if this becomes another bullet point on the list of things that the Valar do that they're fully justified in doing, but maybe shouldn't have done? Yeah, um, I like actually. Let's hold on to that for a second because that that's okay. that's part of a bigger. I I, I want to think about what's the Valar's role in all of this and what's more important. How do we handle it and pre- depict it on screen? Mm-hmm. Um, we need to think about what the Valar are actually thinking. But even more important is how much of that do we reveal to everybody right. else? Um, but let's finish the Fingolfin Finar uh, uh, Fingolfin no no the Fingolfin yeah. Feanor 
situation first. Okay, so uh, much against my own will, I'm kind of liking this idea. And I don't know if you guys hate this idea, but um, uh, by the way, so let me try to do my my little uh, my little apologia for this in advance. I am not, of course, arguing that Fingolfin is going to be a jerk all the way through. And in fact, I think he could. I think for Fingolfin, the turning point is the Helcaraxa. The choice that Fingolfin makes to lead his people on and the state of mind in which they arrive after their crossing and the suffering and the Helcaraxa. Fingolfin is changed by that. But think about it, too. Fingolf- think of Fingolfin's death. It's awesome, right? It's, it's epically heroic and wonderful. It's also rash and despairing. Um, and we need to... We need to prefigure that. I mean, like that. There is, um, <clears throat> there is definitely intemperance in Fingolfin's character, right? Right. You know, there is definitely rashness. His death is rash. The choice to follow Fenarfining or Fingolfining or darn it, Feanor, the other, the third <laughs> brother. The choice to follow Feanor and cross the Helcaraxa is... is rash. Yeah. His yeah. agreement to go along with with Fanor. He's, he's going to have, he's going to be confronted with a choice, right? His full brother Fenarfin is going to be making the right call. His crazy jerk half brother Fanor is going to be making the wrong call. And Fingolfin is going to choose to follow Fanor instead of Fenarfin. Now he's going to have, he's, he's not just going to be, it's not like he's going to side with Fanor over Fenarfin, right? That's not going to be his motivation for going on. Um, and I mean, at the point when Fenarfin turns back. So think of the decision points, right? We've got uh, we've got the decision to follow him out of Tyrion. We've got the kinslaying at which the people of Fingolfin are not wholly innocent, right? We've got the moment when Fenarfin chooses to turn back and he, Fingolfin, chooses to go on. We've got the moment with the burning of the ships when he chooses to go on anyway and cross the Helcaraxa, right? All of, like, there's a certain rashness in all of those acts, Right? But I think we can make a really interesting trajectory if we make him somebody who is kind of, I think, depicting him as more juvenile, right? Not that he's actually a kid, because he's not, but I mean, more immature in his development at this point, Um, informed by less emotionally mature. Doesn't think things through. No. No, is not yet acting as a, like, leader, as a self-sacrificial leader, like the self-sacrificial right. leader of his people that he will become. He's not that yet. Um, and he is, so having him be not a twit, not even a jerk, but have him be the kind of irritated and disgruntled little brother... Um, who is oh, very? Cool that we're actually getting the good guys an arc too. You know? Yeah, I mean that's talking the... about the arc of the bad guy. He's going from good to bad. Let's go the other direction. Although he's not bad. To start not with. bad. So, just just bratty, bratty. Yes, good. bratty and immature. To you know, to to not so right. To heroically <laughs> epic right. leader awesome, right? I mean, there's there's lots of time for him to show wisdom. And honestly, think about the. 
Think about the significance of the, uh, you know, the kind of significance that this gives. And we think about, again, other things that Fingolfin did, right? Think about um, the situation with the Feanorians after they arrive, like the, the uncomfortable camps by Lake Mithrim, right? After Feanor's death, right? So Feanor is dead. Um, but when the people of Fingolfin arrive and they're right there near the Feanorians and it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable, right? Well, Fingolfin is going to have some leadership decisions to make right then. Right. Think about the think about the significance of the um, of the the the, the Fingon and Mithros thing in this context. Right. Think what his son Fingon is accomplishing. Um, the the sense in which his son Fingon is doing in selflessly going after Mithros is is. Oh, I'm almost tempted to say being an example to his father. But I don't think it would be an ex- at that point. It wouldn't be at that point. What Fingen does becomes an expression of the attitude which fin- Fingolfin himself has grown into by then, right? Um, so I would think that uh, that you know basically we we need to bring Fingolfin's character to a point where when Fingen returns, having rescued Mithros, Fingolfin's reaction is basically that's my boy, right? That's the way, son. That's that's how we need to be carrying ourselves. But he's got a lot of growing to do. Figolfin has a lot of growing to do before he can get to that point. Um, so, and I think that's cool. I think that's cool. Um, yeah, Kirita, I feel the same way. It, it might be an impulse to make him perfect because we love him, but perfection isn't terribly interesting on screen. Exactly, Kirita. I think we have that. We we, if we're not careful, we stand a very real chance of making the characters that we like most the least sympathetic on screen, and right. have and the most flats. Exactly, yeah. end up having our most. viewers disliking most the characters that we most like. Um, so, yeah, that actually, you know, this whole thing. David, it's it's so funny that it started off with like just you accidentally misspeaking. Uh, uh, <laughs> but... I, I, would, I would backtrack on that accidentally misspeaking thing, Dave. I, I think <laughs> exactly. Change. I mean, nope. Dave, thanks to your brilliant I'm insight that you had. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, to me, this like this solves almost everything, actually, um, because like not only can I see how the conflict would get to that point if Fingolfin is actually stirring it up. Because that was exactly my problem. Exactly my problem is if Fingolfin is completely inoffensive and in, in like genuine and nice and good and and and, and admirable in, in every way, and Fingolfin or, and like why should Fanor have a thing about it? Or how can we make that convincing? You know the the issue that he has, especially the apparently ridiculous accusation of him trying to usurp his position in his father's heart, than which little could be more secure. It would seem. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, have Fingolfin actually trying to do that. And as I said, what's more, we can actually get Melkor involved in that pretty easily on both sides without proving him to be a villain yet. See, yeah. the, the game we need to yeah, play with... with pointing out things that are kind of there exactly, already. Exactly. Um, That's great. Remember, we want to create a situation in which people are suspicious that Melkor is not really, you know, they, they may be saying he's not really changed. Right. And there's plenty of evidence to suggest he hasn't really changed, but there is also evidence to suggest there's no evidence to prove that he hasn't. And lots to lots that is consistent with his action, with an actual change. Right. Um, I mean, after all, he's just, um, 
Um, uh, he's just saying good things about people, right? Um, and and things thing which like are perfectly true. People really familiar with the story will be surprised. Yes. At this portrayal. Yes. Uh, they'll be like, "Whoa, wait a second. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And hopefully they won't all stop watching at that point. So yes, exactly. Um, Twitter will just go nuts. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, okay. Well, I like that. I like that. So okay. So so then back to Fanor's perspective. So Fanor now has this annoying little brother, right? Who uh, is, tr- you know, who's who's trying to usurp his place in his father's heart, right? He's envious. His he can tell that his brother is envious, right? Yep. Um, and he and and then right and then we have that identification with Indus, right? He's 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 Indus's boy. Indus's golden boy. Yeah. Um, how does Melkor work on that? Ah, this throws, well, not throws a wrench in, but I can't use the same avenue I did before. Before, I remember I was wanting to use, uh, to use Nerdanel as the... You know, sort of Melkor's into Fanor, in indirect into Fanor, since Fanor won't have anything to do with Melkor. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I was using Nerdanel as his entry point there, like how the sayings of Melkor get to Fanor in that way. But we really couldn't do that here. Nerdanel is too wise to be egging him on to hate his brother. Finarfin? Hmm. Hmm. <clears throat> But it sort of in a kind of, but not in a conniving, intentional way, but in a, you know, in a sort of innocent, um, naive way, just kind of reporting what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um. Or, <laughs> or Finway just saying, hey, Feynor, do you know what your brother did? <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> putting putting Fingolfin's drawing up on the on the uh his like, you know, his like uh stick figure drawing up on the fridge next to like Feanor's masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and by the way, I agree Tony Mead was just saying uh you know, he would like it if Melkor never actually told a lie. I would like that too. Um Yeah. I, 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 I think that's totally how we should manage it. And it's it's not that hard to do. It's not that hard to do. All he has to do is say things which are perfectly true and leave people to draw their own conclusion. Like, he doesn't have to tell them, for instance, that the Valar are trying to keep them down and imprison them, right? All he has to do is point out how much good work there is for them to do in Middle-earth, which is perfectly true, uh, and the fact that the Valar... And, and, and you know, sort of say, you know, it, it's, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that you, you know, that you've been, you've been all brought and kept over here instead of being, you know, being allowed to do that work over there, which is perfectly true, right? And leave them to be like, hey, why were we taken away, right? You know, why are we being, and then, and then men, right? He reveals the, the coming of men, which is perfectly true, and yep. can say things like, 
so uh um i i you know i guess it'll be it'll be it'll be nice that you know men have been left to to you know he doesn't have to be like they are conspiring against you right they are trying to raise up the younger to supplant you he he can leave them to conclude that right he just has to point out that they're there that the valar knew it right um oh they 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 didn't mention that oh huh okay you know he 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 doesn't have to draw the conclusion he leaves them to draw the conclusion um yes yeah yeah <clears throat> i i like that idea a lot cuz it it heightens us it heightens the tragedy right? yes like it makes things more tragic when it's it, you know it, it's when when things are kind of when when he's not explicitly corrupting them or lying to them or misleading them he's literally just pointing out what's happening and allowing people to kind of draw the wrong conclusions from it. Yes. And it sort of heightens it heightens the sense that this could have been managed differently, maybe by the Valar or someone else. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean I, I think if if people emerge from this whole situation thinking, gosh, you know, the Valar really handled this whole situation poorly, I mean, in a sense, season the trajectory of season two is is a tragedy of the Valar as well. I mean, it's like the Valar make a big mistake and then reap what they sowed is one kind of way to, to, to summarize what see what happens in season two. It's not a full and uh, uh, adequate description of the whole thing, but it, it would work. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, it, oh, Marielle, that you've got it. Mariel has got the solution, I think. His sons. It won't come from Nerdanel. Finarfin uh. could do it, but his sons are even better, right? He would he, he his he would he would listen to his sons, and they would listen. I don't like Mithros though, Marielle, because Mithros with Mithros we need to emphasize his attachment to Fingen, right? So Mithros and Fingen have got to be kind of a united front, just kind of looking on in in, in uh, something like horror as their fathers become more and more estranged from each other, right? Um, uh, so it's got to be one of the others. I nominate Karanthir, because he's a jerk. <laughs> I mean, he's the worst of the Feanorians, right? I mean, Karanthir is like the only one of the sons of Feanor who has like no redeeming qualities at all. Right. I mean, <laughs> he's just a jerk all the time. And, um, uh, I, 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 so I would think, right. Maria's saying he's a jerk, but a loner. Yeah, exactly. Which would make him more susceptible. I would think to listening to Melkor and therefore be being the transmission, being the transmitter of Melkor's lies to his father. And I could imagine, I mean, if I if I want to nominate a son of Feanor to be like to come carrying tales to his dad, which end up stirring up trouble. Right. Did you hear what 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 what, you know, what Uncle Fingolfin said or did? That would totally be current there. Right. I mean, he, he he's yeah. my he's my absolute number one candidate for that post. Yeah. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, any, if there's a if there's a candidate for a guy just being in just like. Being a complete jerk, that guy is. Yeah, yeah. Come on, there. I mean, we need to establish him. He's that. He's. I mean, he's a. He's a bad egg. I mean, there's uh, seriously. 
what good thing about Caranthir do we ever know? I mean, I, I, I can't think of a single, like, I mean, there's like at least Kurofin, right? I mean, Kurofin is not nice and Keligorm is not nice, but they at least have, I mean, Keligorm obviously was nice enough to, to become friends with Huan, right? And to, to attach Huan to him. Uh, so obviously he can't have been all bad, right? Kurofin at least has like the artistry going for him. So there's that at least. What does Caranthir have? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He's a, he's, he, he's a jerk. Now, Maria's concerned about him being such a loner that he won't hear gossip. No, but he could still talk to Melkor. In fact, Melkor might, sing, might, uh, might seek him out because he's a loner and therefore would be the less, um, would be the quicker to believe stuff that maybe somebody else. I mean, like if, if, uh, if he were to go, like Melkor would know full, full well that if he went to seek out Mithros, say, uh, to, you know, sort of plant um, ideas about what Fingolfin is up to. I'm thinking that the word, you know, usurp should come up, but that should, it, it should be Melkor who says that first, you know, so, so that we have him planting that seed explicitly. Though again, he doesn't, it's, it, 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 it doesn't have to be, you know, it's just like ex the expression of concern, right? I just, I hate to see this kind of discord arise. It hasn't really arisen yet. Right. But again, Caranthir, the loner, would be the one who would buy it. Right. He'd be like, did you know what's going on? Because he didn't know what was going on. But Melkor told him and he believed it. Whereas Mithros, if Melkor had said that to Mithros, Mithros would have would have would have argued with him right on the spot. Right. And apart from the fact that Fingen would probably have been there. But even if Mithros were on his own without Fingen, he'd immediately go and talk to Fingen and be like, dude, you know, let's get to the bottom of this. Caranthir wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's true. A good point. Yep, can't be Mithros. Yep, yeah, yeah. It 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 can't be Mithros, but uh, uh, yeah. So, um, so you know, Karina, he doesn't have to be perfectly bad. I'm not saying he's utterly and in always. I'm just saying we don't have any positive thing that we have to leave for him. <laughs> like he's, 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 we can try to find, I'm, perf I'm perfectly fine with us searching for some uh, positive quality we can give Karanthir, but I'm saying we don't have to preserve it. You know, we don't have to give, and, and, and I'm, we have so many characters, we can't give them all fully defined character arcs. Right. Um, so having the one guy who is kind of a one-dimensional jerk from the beginning is kind of useful um, because then we don't have to give him an arc at all. And that's yeah, fine. That's and that's fine. We need somebody like that, right? And Karanthir is the guy, I would say. Um, so, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, he wins. He wins the lottery. <laughs> he wins the lottery. He wins yeah. the lottery. Um, so, uh, so, yeah. No, that could totally work. Um, so fin Feanord isn't resentful of Fingolfin until he hears from Caranthir. When he hears from Caranthir that Fingolfin, like he, 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 he believes, uh, what Caranthir tells him because Caranthir will probably tell him with somewhat more th and won't tell him his authority, right? He won't tell him where he heard it from. He'll just present it to him like it's fact and Feanor mm -hmm. will buy it. And so Feanor is going to be convinced that Fingolfin is actually plotting against him. And that's why he 
crosses the line. But the crossing of the line, right, is not a Fingolfin issue. It's a Feanor issue, right? So back to Feanor's character, what is it that makes him cross that enormous line, right? What is it that that motivates him? And it's got to be, it's got to be, it's got to be pride, right? Um, it's got to be his sense of his own reputation. And if we have him, not, not his own reputation, because if you care about your reputation, that means you care at least some what other people think of you. Right. Um, right. You know, you're, you're con- uh, that's why uh, um, that's why vanity is not so bad. Vanity is a subspecies of pride, but it's not so bad as just like totally megalomaniacal pride, right? Because at least there's some consideration of others, even if it's totally narcissistic, right? Um, but, uh, so yeah, so it's, he, he doesn't care about his reputation, but what he does care about is, well, what does he care about? He cares about his own, his own, he would care about his own, like, restrictions placed upon him. He would care about that. He would care about He's got the mommy issue, right? Um, I mean, uh, I think um, uh, Tony Mead, you know, makes this point about could also be some fear regarding ownership of Somerals. But I wonder, rather than that, um, you know, what if he just kind of treats his father in the same jealous way that he treats the Somerals? He just really right. doesn't want to yeah. share. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Doesn't want to share. That would be the thing, right? Yes, exactly. That's the kind of pride that he has. It's possessiveness, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So when he's... So he responds to Fingolfin trying to usurp his place with his father in exactly the same way that he would respond to somebody trying to break in and steal the Silmarils. Yes. That makes sense. That, 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 that works. Um... Which means we need to show we need to set that up by showing him being possessive of the Silmarils. So we've already shown the Silmarils in their glory last time. Um, at the begin, the first part of this episode, we need to be showing the two things happening. We need to be showing both um, Feanor's increasing possessiveness and jealousy of the Silmarils, right, and 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 beginning to grudge the sight of them to others. Um, his increasing obsession with his own, with the, with the works of his own hands. Um, and we need to show, um, his, we need some kind of reminder of the mommy issue. Um, Oh no. Well, no, we correlate this instead that, so the, 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 we need to correlate the jealousy of the, the hiding of the Silmarils, right? The possessiveness of the Silmarils with his weapon making. And his weapon wearing, right? Because, uh-huh. um, I mean, the first time somebody wears a sword out on the street, right, it doesn't have to be, like, people aren't going to, like, gasp and, 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 and you know, be shocked necessarily, right? Because no one is going to imagine that you're wearing a sword in case you need to use it against somebody else on the street, right? I mean, that's going to be so far from anyone's mind that it's just another adornment, especially since, I mean, if Feanor makes his sword, his sword is going to be pretty, right? Uh, it'll, it'll, it, it'll fit his ensemble really well. Um, so it'll just be like an extra and a, sort of a particularly, you know, a, a particularly martial accessory uh, to his already increasingly martial um, uh, 
appearance, right? But what we can show is the attitude by showing the correlation between now he's not just making like decorative swords. He's now stockpiling weapons as if he really intends, or at least he's now preparing. The thing we need to show is the shift from I'm going to make weapons just in case we go to Middle Earth and ever need to use them against the bad guys that are still over there in Middle Earth to I need to have these because you never know what might happen, right? Just in case something bad happens even here, right? That 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 needs to be a thing that first grows in Feanor's mind. Right. Yes. And by the way, I am... Uh, I am totally fine with Fingolfin and his followers not having any swords until after Feanor draws his sword on Fingolfin. Because um, there's going to be some time, a little bit of time anyway, in which that that could have been happening. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, good. Hakan is pointing out there's a nice parallel between the elves and men and Fanor and Fingolfin, you know, two cases of the firstborn's jealousy and the yeah, I mean, Hakan yep. that that really maps well, right? I mean, so the reaction that Fanor obviously has to um, you know, so yeah, he's already irritated at his presumptuous little brother, right? And then he learns there's like a little brother race out there that's going to usurp Middle-earth and he's like, oh, that's it. That is just it, right? <laughs> Forget it. Like, I am I am not having it, right? I'm putting my brother in his place. I'm putting them... There. Forget it. I am, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see how that, that pushes him totally over the edge. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, no, Chris, I don't think we want any excuse for them to wear swords. Uh, the question was about like, do we do we want there to be some kind of threat? You know, some you know, some kind of possible threat that would that would be, no. I want it to be alien. I mean, I want the I I want the the the, the making and stockpiling of weapons, and again, ultimately the drawing of the sword upon his brother to be something which is not only disapproved of but incomprehensible to the Valar. Like it's it's from Mars. Well, which makes sense, I guess, in more than one sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, 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 it should be, it, it should not be explicable in any what? kind of normal way. Because of course, remember, remember that's where we're going to be going. Um, with Fanor, when Fanor is going to get banished, what this is going to lead to is the exposure of Melkor. Uh, and they're going to come after They're going to figure out that. Mel- so, so remember what that means. This implies that the 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 rationale for the Valar is for them to to be saying Fanor making swords and drawing them on his brother is so incomprehensible that there must be an explanation uh, an explanation for this, right? We must seek to discover how on earth this could possibly have happened. Right? It is that unnatural. Um <clears throat> uh where again like if one of my brothers, if one of my sons punches his brother, then I, you know, I, I'm not, my reaction to that wouldn't be like, what external force could possibly have corrupted him to the extent that he would use violence against his brother? I can't conceive, I can conceive of it perfectly well, right? Um, I mean, it's not okay, but I can conceive of it, right? And I can understand Actually, it. I'm sort of surprised that you wouldn't go there. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. In fact, you know, the probably 
when I was having my sit down conversation with the son who punched his brother, I would undoubtedly say something like, I can understand why you would want to do that. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, that's not the line that the Valar take with Feanor, right? Uh, you know, uh, they, instead, they're like something, you know, this shows that something big and serious and horrible has been happening. Um, so it has to be that inexplicable in order for that to, in order for, in order for that to happen. Um, okay. Um, and Marie, yes, we're saving the Melkor reveal. Well, yes. Um, uh, I was thinking ma the malice of Melkor can be revealed. Well, we'll have to talk about that next time. Um, whether that's going to happen in episode 11 or, or episode 12, I'm not sure of. Um, but, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so no, no, it's definitely not, not revealed here. Um, in the next episode, we definitely have to have the Valar believing that he was bad. But we don't necessarily have to sh show the proof that they were right yet. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, okay. All right. But that's, but that's next episode. Okay, so... That's good. I like this. I like this. Me too. Yeah, this works. Um... Uh, where else does this leave us? I've left my notes so far behind that I don't even know how to go back to them now. Uh, okay, yeah, the event, the event. So let's let's talk about the actual moment with the sword drawing because this has to be a this has to be an important. This is this is a climactic moment, right? So, what's the occasion? Where and when does it happen? Um, how do we want to arrange that? Um, you mean the confrontation when he comes marching into with the with the sword? Yes. Do we want to even do we want to even keep it that? Do we want to even make it a Fanor marches in situation? We could turn that, and I mean, of course, the way it's done in the book makes it totally obvious that it's Feanor's fault, right? He comes in and draws his sword on Fingolfin and says, well, you know, so he is the aggressor from the beginning, right? He comes in he comes in looking for trouble. We could shift it. Um, we could shift it and have Fingolfin be the one who comes in and Fingolfin could even kind of instigate stuff, but then Feanor's reaction is like so utterly shockingly unexpected to everybody that it, I mean, it's it's still clear that Feanor is wrong. I'm not trying to make Feanor less in the wrong. Um, I'm just not sure that Fingolfin has to be standing there innocently minding his own business. When Fingolfin, when when Tarnit, if I could keep their names straight even once today, it would be really helpful. Um, I don't think we necessarily have to have Fingolfin standing there minding his own business when Fanor marches in and then just like unprovokedly draws his sword on him. Um, exactly, Marie. Do we, I would kind of. Do we need 
I would kind of like oh, for right. Feanor to be able to say Fingolfin started it, at least to himself, right? Uh, for him to be able to justify himself to himself by saying, you know, it was his brother's fault. I would like that to be, to, to be, I think. But anyway, sorry, Dave, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, do we need some kind of, does there need to be like an immediate, like a prior scene with an inciting event? Yes. Like an actual discrete, like a thing happens and then we, you know, and then the scene ends, we cut to commercial or something. Uh, and the viewers left with a foreboding sense that some <clears throat> something's about to, you know, that things are going off the rails. Like, um, <clears throat> um, Fanor marching in with a sword can still be a surprise. Like, yes. you don't have to like show him fingering the sword right before in the previous scene. But, but like, there probably needs to be something so it's not just like business as usual. He's a little annoyed at his little brother, etc. Oh, he's got a sword now. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and here we could try the radical expedient of following what's in the book. That just occurred to me. It's like a new idea I thought I'd try out. Because, um, uh, <laughs> of course, as Nick is reminding us, when Fanor draws his sword on Fingolfin in the book, Fingolfin is speaking against him, is speaking against Fanor to his father, right? Oh, true. Um, now, of course, he's in the book, he's doing so, like, nobly, and, like, Fingolfin is completely in the right, right? Um, and but But remember Fanor's words... In the book, right? He comes in and says, he essentially says, aha, it's true. Here you are trying to usurp my place with my father. Here you are speaking against me, right? You fork-tongued little jerk, right? Uh, trying to undermine my father's love for me by speaking against me to my father. And Fingolfin was speaking against him to his father at the time. So maybe... Or Maybe the, or the yeah maybe sorry go ahead. Maybe he was whispering to his father about trying to keep some secret from Feanor, but really he was just planning a surprise birthday party. <laughs> it's all a tragic misunderstanding. Oh man, um, I think the precipitating event needs to be the thing that. There needs to be something that triggers Fingolfin to go to his dad. Something that he sees or hears that is going to lead him to go to his dad and sit down and have the uh, have the uh, Feanor's a bad egg conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you need to put dad you need to put Feanor in his place. And of course, given the way that we've been talking about depicting Fingolfin, his motivations are not wholly pure in doing this, right? There is yeah. some like peevishness on his part. There is, a, there, there, he is kind of, if not on the lookout for an excuse to have this conversation with his father, he's very quick to notice it and act on it, right? Right. And so Feanor is aware of this and is perfectly perfectly well aware that that has happened. It doesn't make it unjustified, right? Um, hmm. 
but there's got to be there's got to be something there's got to be something that leads and of course in the book he's he's speaking against the thou are right but i don't know that we want to go there yet see again this is one of the one of the issues that we have here in making some of those changes like not having fan or speaking openly against the valar yet i don't even feel like we're necessarily changing the story what we're doing is uncompressing the story right um the whole story of the unrest of the Noldor uh, is told so briefly, you know, is summarized so briefly that we don't get the same, we don't get the sort of the stages of progression of things worked out in the way that we're trying to work them out when we're expanding it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get Fanor there, but I think it's going to make much more sense to wait on the Feanor speaking against the Valar until the Valar give him a good reason to speak against them. Feanor is going to be quick to believe that people are against him, right? Yep. Um, so, I mean, his own pride is going to lead him to that quickly enough. So once the Valar banish him, it's, uh, he, 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 it's over, right? He's, he's uh, you know, he, he's going to defriend the Valar from that time because he's going to feel like he's been done wrong. But I don't think we necessarily need to get him there yet. That seems like too big of a jump yet at this point. Right. Well, we go back to the other the two things that we were already dealing with earlier on. That is the swords and the Silmarils. Maybe it's the Silmarils. If, oh yeah, because if he's complaining, if Fingolfin is complaining to Dad about the arrogance of Fing- of Feanor, the arrogance and possessiveness of Feanor in hoarding the Silmarils, Fingolfin could also have the benefit of saying what is perfectly true, and actually giving our this this prevents us having to do anything hokey. In uh, we need to make sure we're really clearly conveying to the audience what Feanor's motivation is for, for hoarding the Silmarils, right? Without making him hokey and comical in doing so. Um, and we don't want to have a forced conversation between him and Nerdinel or something, you know, being like, honey, why, didn't, why aren't you wearing the Silmarils tonight? Because I'm hoarding them for myself and I want to deny the sight of them to others. Like, we don't have to, we don't have to spell that kind of thing out in dialogue. But if Fingolfin makes the accusation against his brother... The accusation can be peevish, peevish and somewhat ill-willed, but also perfectly true, and points to the true thing that happens. And it also then gives Feanor the added motivation to say, not only are you trying to alienate my father from me and convince my father that I'm some kind of, you know, uh, possessive antisocial jerk, but you're also wanting, my, you're also, you want the Silmarils for yourself, don't you? Yep. Right? You, you you envious little twit. Oh, that, that scans in every way. That scans in every single way. Because it touches it touches so so to answer the question why would Fanor what would move Fanor to cross the that line, that enormous huge line? Why would he cross it? Because every single one of his buttons is getting pushed here. Yeah. 
That yep. works. That works. I like that. I like that. So I like it as well. Do we want to have it in? It's got to be public, right? It can't be private. Um, this conversation, you mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no. We, we do both, right? Okay, so Fingolfin pulls his father aside. They're in a room where there are lots of other Noldor there, right? But he <laughs> talks ta- overly loud. No, he no, Fingolfin doesn't. I think Fingolfin can be speaking peevishly and stuff, but only only Finway hears what he says, right? Right. But everybody sees Feanor draw the sword on his brother, so that means that's going to look even worse than it is, right? Right. Because they're not going to see the provocation. To everybody else, it's going to look like Feanor comes in, sees his brother, and just. Just goes and yeah, absolutely, Brian. We need an enormous gasp uh, and a and a and a completely stunned silence when he draws his sword on his brother. And nobody is going to be more stunned, shocked, and appalled than Finway. I like it. Yeah, yeah, that works. So, so we have lots of witnesses to the event, uh, and it's a public sensation. But, the, but. I think we, we, we'd be pulling Fingolfin down even another peg if he does his, like, you know, peevish, envious little brother whining session to dad in front of everybody else. Like, I mean, if, if, if he's in a public audience is like, dad, Fanor's doing this and that like you should, you know, that'd be awful. Right, I mean, mean, it's bad enough to have him do that. It's going to be painful enough to watch to have Fingolfin do acting that way, but to make him the kind of person who would seek an an audience for that, you know, like who would want to do that in front of others, like that's in front of other people. I just can't go that far. Pretty bad. Yeah, I just can't go that far. Um, uh, Ooh, Karita asks. Yeah, we don't want to do that. Karita asks, "Is Nerdanel there?" No, I don't think she is. I think she finds out about this later, and I would think that she starts to speak against him in private there. I think that Nerdanel's got to say, like, to Fanor, you idiot. Like, what the heck are you thinking? Um, I think she's got to be, um, I think she's got to be fully, um, alive to how the enormity of what he's done. He might not. He might try to kind of brazen it out, right? Like he feels it's, he was provoked and he was within his rights. Um, I don't think she can be okay with this. I think we need that. We have to have her voice against it. Um, No, see, but Nick, he can walk away. So Nick is saying that he doesn't think this jives well with the Fingolfin who who walks away from the fight without a word. I think it can. I think it can. Um, Remember, this is... We're not depicting... We're not replacing a statically awesome Fingolfin with a statically sub-awesome Fingolfin, Right? What we are doing is setting him, is starting him down the road to awesomeness. That moment is going to be the first big character development moment we're going to show in Fingolfin, right? What we've been talking about is his, his initial state of understandably envious little brother. I mean, again, who would want to be Feanor's little brother? 
But then that moment, that's his first moment of awesomeness, of proto-awesomeness, right? Step one towards becoming the awesome Fingolfin is Fingolfin not rising to the challenge and not taking up Thanor and just turning and walking away with dignity, preserving the peace. And Nerdanel could praise him for it to Feanor when they're fighting about this later, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I think I understand the, um, the, the trepidation of uh, Fingolfin fans who may not like this sort of initial setting, you know, putting his starting point as kind of a whiny little brother, but um, this makes for a much more interesting uh, and dynamic arc. Right, right. And it, it doesn't have to be, as Tony Mead is pointing out, um, he says, I, I also think that Fingolfin would know he's actually in danger and that if he says the, the wrong thing, he might actually die. Um, yeah. I mean, we don't have to have him suddenly rise, you know, and be like, now I am noble and, 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 and long-suffering and turning away. He can also just look terrified as well, right? Um, I mean, I don't want him running off. You know, I, I don't want him just like turning and running away with his tail between his legs. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, it doesn't mean, you know, we're flipping the awesome switch a hundred you know, 180 degrees around right here either. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of complexity to it there. Um, uh, but see, no, th- and Nick doesn't like that element. Nick doesn't like that, you know, he's, it looks like we're making him look like he's just walking away because he's at a disadvantage. But see, but Nick, I like that because it, it raises the question. I want viewers to be thinking, what comes next, right? Is Fingolfin going to have a sword next? Because guess what? He is going to have a sword next. So where are we going with this, right? Are we now like suddenly like on the scene of on, on the on the set of West Side Story, right? Are we going to have Fingolfin and his people and Fanor and his people and are we going to have brawls in the street? That's a question we should be asking. Right? I think everybody's asking that. I think the other Noldor in the room are asking that. What what's this going to lead to? Is that the next time Fanor and Fingolfin meet, <clears throat> is Fingolfin going to be ready to draw his sword back and they're going to fight? Cuz remember what we're setting up. We are setting up their next meeting. The next time the two of them face each other will be at the festival <clears throat> when they are being reconciled by Manway. And the next thing that's going to happen is Fingolfin saying that he's not going to pursue it and submitting to his brother. Um, and again, that makes that... So if we, if we make it look like it's totally okay, for him to leave with people thinking, oh, he's just going to get his posse and come back, right? Um, I like it. Ooh, Brian has a really good suggestion. Brian, uh, um, Brian likes having uh, uh, having him turn his back on Fanor with the sword still held to his throat, um, right? So, like, to show that he's he's not backing away in fear, right? Uh, he just he just turns away and. Um, I, I uh, in, in doing that, I'm, I'm kind of I'm getting this this uh, this visual image of Fingolfin of uh, Feanor resting the tip of his sword against Fingolfin's skin, and Fingolfin slowly turning and walking away 
without backing away from the tip of the sword, such that the tip of the sword actually scratches him and draws blood. Like, to have a drop of blood be shed. Um, No violence be done exactly, right? But to actually show, like, you know, a wound has been made. Um, I kind of like that. Um, and so, yeah, so he goes to, he goes to, to Finarfin. Of course, that's who he goes to. He, you know, it's, and, and mom, I would add as well. Um, I, I, I think he goes to Indus and, and Finarfin. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like, and it's fine. See, Nick, it's fine. Don't worry about him being weak. Let him look weak. Let him look weak. <clears throat> if he looks weak now, he will be. He, it will make him the, his gro- his growth into his strength greater. It's that's the point. It's the point. Don't 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 try to preserve him by by taking away his arc. Um, he can be weak. There can be weakness in his, his uh, weakness, and you know it, it can be it can be not very admirable. What brought him here? His reaction to this can be not very admirable. His action at the festival, when he promises to not pursue it and to be reconciled to his brother and to follow him, can still be not a hundred percent admirable yet. We can figure out, and that's uh, for another time. Um, uh, that's that's for episode twelve. Um, but anyway, we can even make that. But but again, it's all it's part of the process. Right. It's part of the process. Um, uh, let him be weak. Absolutely. I'm fine with him being weak. It's all good. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I like it. I love it. This is great. Uh, <clears throat> Fingolfin is the wussy, envious little brother. I never before this morning thought of that in my life. <clears throat> but the but the more I think about it, the more problems it solves. The more natural it makes all of this stuff, and the cooler he's going to look later on. I think. Yeah. Love It'll it. Be a lot more inspiring. Definitely. Um. Okay. What about the third generation? We've talked a little bit about the third generation. We've introduced Karanthir. Um. Uh. We. Uh. We've introduced Karanthir. We've introduced Goadriel last time, right? We had Arathel hanging out with the sons of Feanor. We had Goadriel refusing to give Feanor her hair. Um, so we've done that. We didn't get to Turgon last time, did we? We talked about it a little bit. Oh, I almost forgot. Um, I My favorite suggestion from the uh uh my favorite suggestion from the discussion boards this past week was the scene that and I'm forgetting was it Hakan who was suggesting this that um we have a scene with Melkor talking to several of the elf possibly several of the third generation elves and uh he he foretells the future um and he 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 specifically foretells that Fingolfin is going to be the high king of the Noldor um, that I think is a really interesting suggestion because of course it's another example of him saying what is perfectly true uh, and of course he would be able to foretell the future to some extent because of his memory of the music so we could talk about that um, and 
Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I like the idea. Now that, now that I want to go this direction with Fingolfin, I'm not sure that we need that anymore, though. The foretelling, specifically. One thing I'm torn about with Turgon, should we even do the Turgon thing, is one thing I'm torn about. Um, the reason I'm torn about it is that... Okay. Uh, prepare for blasphemy. That should totally have been cut from the published Silmarillion. Like, that that line about uh, about Melkor, you know, like, feeling a chill of dread come across him whenever he saw Turgon and Valinor has no right to be in the published Silmarillion. It should not be there. Um, it doesn't make any sense in the context of the published Silmarillion. It is a relic of an earlier version of the story. In the original version of the story, the dread that Melkor has makes sense because... Turgon is the one who is destined to defeat him, or at least has the potential and the power to defeat him. He doesn't, but he could. Right? Olmo is going to empower Turgon to lead the army, which is going to destroy Morgoth and his kingdom. And that's what made Morgoth feel dread of Turgon. In the published Silmarillion, that element is taken away. The message that Olmo sends to Turgon by Tuor is no longer... Originally, it was get your army together and go. Go out and attack Melkor. And Because if, if you do, it's going to be bad and there's going to be lots of suffering involved and it looks like you're going to be outnumbered. But I'm, t- I'm telling you, I, Olmo, Lord of Waters, tell you, if you march out of your gates with your army against Melkor, now you will win and you will destroy Melkor. And that's the message from Olmo, Lord of Waters, which Turgon does not follow in the original version of the story. So that the dread that Morgoth has seeing Turgon um, and the foreboding of his own doom that comes upon him when he sees Turgon and Valinor is a relic of that time. In the published Silmarillion story, it doesn't make a lick of sense. The only thing that is left is like, because Turgon was destined to be the grandfather of the guy who goes over and delivers the message, which then leads the Valar to come over and defeat him. So, I mean, you might just as well say that Fingolfin is his doom because he was the great-grandfather of Arendal, right? I mean, like, or, or Finway was his doom because he was the great-great-grandfather of Arendal. I mean, it's so indirect in the published Silmarillion that it almost doesn't make any sense at all, right? So, I, 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 um, uh, it's one of those moments that I think is, uh, it's, uh, I mean, and honestly, and here I'm not even really criticizing J.R.R. as much as I'm saying it's one of Christopher Tolkien's editorial choices in the published Silmarillion that I question most. Um, uh, but at the same time, it's kind of awesome, right? <laughs> right? So I'd hate to lose it. I mean, that sense of like Melkor looking at Turgon. I mean, the 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 thing you know, Melkor looking at Turgon and having like and being showing him afraid for some reason, 
and doing it in the context. And Hakan, I think it was you who suggested this, that this comes up in the context of him foretelling the future. So he's having a conversation with like some of the Noldor kids about um, foretelling the future. Like, you know, they're asking him about the music of the Ainur and how does that work? Does that mean you know what's going to happen in the future? Because you had this vision. We've heard you've had this vision and stuff. Tell us what's up with that, Uncle Melkor, right? And uh, and he's like, yeah, well, of course. Like, so for example, like, uh, you know, uh, uh, I can remember from the music, like, uh, you know, so uh, uh, your dad, uh, you know, little thing, little Fingen, or, you know, of course, adolescent Fingen, or really young adult Fingen, is going to be, is going to be king is going to be hiking in the Noldor someday. Ha 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 ha. Right. And, 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 but then in the context of having this conversation, then he sees Turgon and all of a sudden he like looks scared and nobody understands why he's scared and he tries to pass it off and we never explain it to the viewers. I like that. I mean, it's a fun touch. Um, I just am not sure. I'm just not sure that we're going to be able to have the payoff for that. Cause again, in the published Silmarillion, it really doesn't have the payoff. Um, there isn't payoff for that in the published Silmarillion, and I'd be, I'd worry about putting it in there. Um, yeah. Um, hmm. What do you guys think about this? So I was just reading Brian Yoder's suggestion. Maybe we can instead have Melkor being unnerved in some way by Fingolfin and like <laughs> scratching his foot <laughs> as he passes by. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I feel the impulse to limp and I don't know why. Um, uh, that would be, uh, uh, that would be, that would be hilarious. Um, okay. Mariel is suggesting, um, uh, could it be in the context of like, you know, and Turgon here will have the mightiest descendants. Um, that would be kind of interesting, right? If it's just, he's just talking about sort of foresee, foreseeing Eärendil and foreseeing Eärendil makes him uncomfortable and he, like, he becomes, so like he's looking at Targon and uh, you know so because I, mean, I, I could imagine that conversation happening whimsically enough right where they're like can you foretell the future and he's like oh ha ha no 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 I cannot exactly foretell the future um, you know but I have some kind of you know and so basically they they start kind of turning it into a joke and asking him like to tell their fortunes basically right? as if he were a fortune teller right so what do you see about us you know tell us tell us our fortunes Uncle Mor. Uncle Morgoth, I almost said. Uh, <laughs> Uncle Melkor. And he he could do that. Um, uh, but then he turns to Turgon, right? And as soon as he starts, like, foretelling something... So he, he could give some, like, cryptic foreshadowings to several of the... Um, uh, to several... Like, for instance, he could foretell, uh, you know, like the association between Fingon or uh, between Finrod and caves, right? For instance, um, uh, you know, that, 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 you know, he, he, he could 
makes some reference to uh, like the Melkor's, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, but then he turn, but but then he turns to, but then he turns to Turgon, and it's like all serious, and he's like, you know, you will have, uh, you know, your descendants will be, you know, some of the greatest in the history of Middle Earth, and he obviously is like getting getting like disturbed and quickly changes the subject. Um, that at least is something that there would be payoff for when we finally get to Arendel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Tony, that's an interesting suggestion. Tony says, what if he tells Turgon to guard well his daughter? That would be a fascinating end to that, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like that. I like that. Yeah, you're right, Marie. Turgon would be married already. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I like it. And I like this idea, like... I like the idea of this scene anyway, <clears throat> because I like having Melkor um, showing a like a, a, a comparatively innocuous scene with Melkor and the elves, right? One in which he is not spreading dissent and doing wicked things, right? But just show him like befriending them, um, and yet it having like foreshadowing to what's going to come later. Um, yeah, I like that. Okay, all right. Um, let's talk about Galadriel. Um, I think did uh, uh, Trish. I think Dave had to go. Is that right? Did did I, I, is, is Dave still here? I think, and I know he I, he was he he had said he might have to leave early today. So I think he might yeah, have, he, he, he might have, have left, yeah. he, he might have discreetly left us here. Um, it's okay. We're almost done anyhow. Um, one last thing I want to talk about, and that's Galadriel. We need to get some of Galadriel's. We need to move Galadriel's story along as she is in one sense, the most important member of the third generation, right? Because she's for long-term purposes, <laughs> you know, and for viewer investment purposes, every single person who watches this show is going to recognize Goadriel and be paying special attention to her. So, you know, we need to, we need to start playing the long game with Goadriel here pretty, uh, uh, pretty, pretty deliberately. So um, we've had, we had her in the last episode with Feanor. We need her here, too. Now, Marie was reminding us, as people were talking about this on the discussion board as well, that we need to establish her connection with the Teleri. Um, and indeed, the, just that we, we, we need to make sure that it's clear that Finarfin is, is married, right, uh, to always daughter. That's a thing that needs to be emphasized and, 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 and clear. You know, we've got we've to set up the tragedy of the kinslaying, right? We talked about that some before. Um. So showing, uh, showing that, um, what's her relationship with Melkor, Galadriel? I think, I think, I think, I think Galadriel is suckered by Mel by Melkor. I think she's completely taken in by Melkor. And I think that she becomes even, and here's why I'm thinking that. Um, uh, the reason I'm thinking that is I would love to be able to, because we're going to have an echo of this, right? Melkor among them as a, as a, a, a kindly friend and supporter is going to have a, a serious echo in the second age, Right when Anatar comes among the elves 
and is uh, friendly and helpful, right? Um, right. Goadriel smells a rat from the beginning and won't have anything to do with him. With Anatar, right. Yeah, with Anatar. Um, uh, and so I think, you know, having because a... Because like, deja vu all over again. Exactly. Like, you know, fool me twice, you know, uh, right. forget about it. So, um, uh, yeah, exactly. So... Marie says, Feanor is anti-Melkor and Galadriel is anti-Feanor, so Galadriel is pro-Melkor. <laughs> Something like that, Marie. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's it's kind of complicated. It can be a little bit more complicated. Like that. But I mean, remember, just as with Fingolfin, he is awesome and heroic, and so it's tempting to make him awesome and heroic from day one. So too, Galadriel is wise, and it's tempting, therefore, to make her wise from day one, but why should she be? Right, she needs to learn no, wisdom mean, sometime. Yeah, she's better. She's got to gain the wisdom, not yeah. automatically have it from birth. Exactly. Um, so, especially with a father like Finarfin, right? Right. I mean, so she's 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 she learns from her father, but but yeah, I mean, and I, I, here I go back to the reference to Galadriel in the published Silmarillion. Um, you know, which of course is you know, Mythgard Academy fans will remember from our discussion in uh, in Unfinished Tales that. You know, Tolkien changed his mind quite a bit over time with Goadriel and her role in this whole thing. <clears throat> but the published Silmarillion captures her in the point of, you know, she's one of the people who basically, at the very least, falls for what 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 Melkor is selling. She buys what he's selling and she wants to go over to Middle Earth and, and, and rule a realm of her own. Um, the kind of the kind of pride that he is trying to stir up in them works on her. Um, so that's another thing that I'm kind of that I'm kind of thinking of there. Um, yeah, Mariel, I agree. Galadriel 3.0 is kind of boring. That's basically when Tolkien continued to elevate Galadriel and made her like he did make her completely wise from day one and see through everything and not uh, go along with Feanor at all and be the primary his primary opponent and everything. Um, I agree. I, I definitely don't want to do that Galadriel. Um, so, so yeah, so I say we make her, um, she can even be the one who's saying things like, you know, it's just like Melkor said or, or whatever, you know, but wasn't Melkor right when he said, because he will be right, by the way, when she quotes him, whatever it is she quotes. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm thinking... Uh, you know, Mary, uh, uh, Marie, I, 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 if we choose, a, you know, of the uh, of the, you know, the unfinished tales, Galadriel's, I'm thinking uh, I'm thinking. Well, I want to use elements, plot elements from from all of the different Galadriel's to an extent. But I think we make her genuinely screw up. I think we make her taken in. You know, something she's going to learn her lesson from later on. I th- so I think we make her taken in by Melkor, and um, and have her be one of the people. She has to have bad reasons for leaving. Her her reasons for she she leaves Valinor as a rebel. Exactly what are the terms of her rebellion? I'm not yet quite sure because it's got to be tied up with the kinslaying, right? It can't be just like Fanor um, because um, it, 
it can't it can't be just like Fanor because she's she, and, 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 nor even just like Fingolfin, right? Following, and we talked a little bit about setting up Fingolfin's choice to carry on going to Middle Earth. Galadriel's got to have other reasons, but they can't be all good reasons. I, I don't want them to be all good reasons, because um, again, what we're going to come up with is a Galadriel who, in the Third Age, still considers herself banished. Um, there's still a ban against her. I still really like that. I I, I would want to do that idea of Goadriel, that at least she feels or believes that that's true. Um, and, um, and there's some responsible reason for that. In other words, she's not being banished. Uh, it's not being done to her. That, that yeah. I think in the, I'd like to see in the third age that there's remorse or there's regret or there's an understanding how she created it herself kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. She it, had a hand in it. It's not our. This is not the arbitrary decree of the of the Valar. She she right. she 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 does kind of deserve it. Um, right. Her attitude when she left was 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 definitely one of rebellion. But the kinslaying makes for a big difference, right? The kinslaying's got to be involved in some way. Um, but fortunately, since that's the case, we don't have to decide this now. Um, we'll wait till after the kinslaying to talk about it. So that's all good. Um, uh, uh, because I mean, it's 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 got to be right. I mean, her departure. The, the 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 children of Finarfin who leave Middle Earth after the kinslaying, they can't just be like, well, you know, Fanor's not exactly been an A plus leader, but we'll still keep following him, right? That cannot be their mindset. Like the guy who slaughtered their mom's people and killed their 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 uh, killed their grandpa, right? <laughs> in 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 Alqualande. Um their motive, we, we have to think through really carefully um, uh, what their motivations are for going along. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mariel, good, right? And she and, and Mariel's reminding us, of course, that we, we have to have the Goadriel who is still going to be tempted, legitimately tempted by the ring. And remember, Mariel, not just tempted, I, because the, the implications of what Goadriel tells Frodo is not just... Now that the ring is in front of me and I am presented with this temptation, I find it a difficult temptation to resist. She says more than that. She says, long have I desired this. Mm-hmm. Goadru admits that she's been maybe just short of scheming for this. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. you know what wouldn't shock me? It wouldn't shock me if Galadriel had had like there were se- there were there were there might have been more than two groups of uh, of of people dredging the river, looking for the ring. <laughs> right, um, Galadriel might have been looking for the ring too, because she wanted it. Um, I mean, she she has wanted to get the ring, and now it is brought to her and given to her freely and offered to her freely. That's the part that surprises her, right? The temptation that she is facing is not just the temptation to receive the ring once it is being given. The temptation, her temptation has been to to, to do a Saruman, to seek for it and try to get it because she's wanted it. So, exactly, Tony, she wants power. And we need to show that. We need to show that. So yeah, I, I'm, so I'm thinking Melkor would find this, these are the reasons why I think that Melkor would find a uh, uh, a ready audience in Goadriel. But we do also need to establish her relationship with the Teleri, and that needs to happen. We we have a the kinsling is not going to happen in season two, but it's going to happen pretty early on in season three. 
um, and we're not going to have much peaceful time. I mean, once, uh, once, I mean, just remember where we're headed. This is episode 10. We've got three more episodes in season two. Episode 11 is going to be, uh, the, the, uh, like at, at Formanos basically. Um, uh, and, uh, leading up to the, leading up to the, to the council or to the festival rather. 12 is going to be the festival of reconciliation. And then 13 is going to be the darkening of Valinor. So certainly in 12 and 13, obviously there's not going to be too much opportunity. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Marie, she could be talking to her Tulare cousins about exploring the world. Hey, Marie, what if we do just a, just a taste just a just a just an Easter egg of Galadriel 3.0. What if we show her talking to to people in Alqualonde about, hey, couldn't could you guys build me a ship so that I could go back to Middle Earth? Could we do that? Would you guys be interested in that? And they and they they're not that interested in that, but um, it doesn't happen, right? And she ends up choosing to go off with them, unlike. Because for those of you who aren't familiar with it, Galadriel 3.0, as I'm calling her, the, a later revision of the Galadriel character after the material that was used in the published Silmarillion, uh, Tolkien had Galadriel not even crossing the Helcaraxa and going with the rest of the Noldor. But she and uh, Celeborn, whom he made into an elf of Alqualonde, she and Celeborn take their own separate ship and arrive separately in Middle-earth um, and therefore are like not even really... They're only by a legal extension under the doom of the of the Noldor. Um, so yeah, so I don't obviously I don't want that to actually happen. But but Maria does give him a conversation topic, right? Um, and it shows that she is exactly as you're saying, Maria. It shows that she's thinking about it, going to Middle Earth, right? Um, and 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 they could ask her, as would be the per- the, the perfectly natural question: Why do you want to leave, right? And she could kind of stumblingly try to say that she wants to establish a realm at her own uh, under her own power but but she doesn't want to say it you know she, she doesn't say it like that because that obviously sounds all megalomaniacal and she doesn't want to go there but but i mean we can see her sort of wrestling with perhaps even uh self-awareness that like this desire is not 100 percent cool um and yeah so talking to the Tulare about shipbuilding totally fits marie yeah, I like this. I like this. That would work. That would work. Okay, so we've given them a conversation topic. I don't know where that gets kind of folded in with the rest of it. Um, but, uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, uh, we should we should wrap up, as even with a late start, we're, we're, we're getting on in time here. Um but uh, let, let let me wrap up with questions for next time. So, um, okay. Uh, next time, as I say, now, episodes 12 and 13, the action that needs to happen in them is very clear. Um, again, we've got the Feast of Reconciliation uh, and, the, you know, the, 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 the reconciliation between, between Fingolfin and Feanor. Um, that's, that, that's the big event of, of episode 12. The Darkening of Valinor is the big event of the climactic episode 13. Episode 11 is still a little bit uncertain. There are several things that need to happen. 
Um, oh, we didn't get to the banishment. We didn't actually get Feyre banished in this episode, which we were meant to do. Um, but that's okay. All, all we need is at the end, like after Fingolfin leaves, we just need a, like Aonwe to show up and tell Feanor that he's been banished. Um, so we need, next episode, we need to deal with the banishment, right? So my questions. Here are my questions for next time for you guys to be thinking about. Question number one. How do we handle Finway? Finway is going to go into exile with Feanor and hold himself unkinged so long as his son is banished from Tyrion. How do we handle that? How do we handle Finway's relationship with the Valar? What does Indus think of this? Right? How do, so we, we, need to, we need to make sure we, we really wrap our brains around Finway's character, especially since this is going to be our last chance to do so, as Finway's going to die in a couple episodes. He's, he's going to die in episode 13. So um, we, that, we, we, need to, we need to do that. Um, second question. What's Formanos like? What needs to happen there with Feanor and Finway? We're, presumably we're going to spend some time establishing Formanos and... Um, and uh, um, doing things with Feanor, Finway, and Nerdanel. I would add, does Nerdanel go into exile with him? If so, how do we handle that? Um, we we need Melkor's conversation with Feanor. Fe- Melkor going to Formanos and trying to warn Feanor, right? Um, the scene which uh, leads Feanor to call... Melkor, the jail crow of Mandos, right? Which line I insist we keep. That 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 uh, we absolutely have. Um, uh, you know, be gone, jail crow of Mandos is uh, must happen. Um, so we've got the jail crow of Mandos conversation between Melkor and Fanor. Okay, so number one, how do we handle Fanor's refusal to return to Valmar? Or no, sorry, not even that. What Finway in general, right? And he's gonna he's gonna refuse to return, so we need to set that up, right? How do we handle Finway's departure in his relationship with the Valar? That's number one. Number two, what is Formanos like, and what needs to happen there? Is Nerdanel there? All those all those questions about Formanos and what needs to happen at Formanos. The one event that we definitely must have in Formanos: Melkor's conversation with Feanor. Okay, what is going to be the full content of that conversation, and, and what are we going to accomplish through that? And then four, and the, to me the biggest question, the Valar. What are we going to show of the Valar? So this comes back to uh, what Dave and I were starting to talk about earlier on, and I said, no, let's, let's wait and come back to that. I was kind of hoping to come back to that today, but we'll do it next time instead, because it's even more relevant to next time. How much of the Valar's point of view are we going to see, or are we going to see none of it? Could we show all of this stuff just from the Noldor's perspective and not really know for sure? exactly what the Valar are thinking and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, but um, <clears throat> anyway, um, in the book, this is the moment when the Valar figure out that Melkor is stirring things up, <clears throat> that he is actually acting against them. It is the tragedy of Feanor, and it's Feanor drawing his sword that leads them to launch an investigation and figure out that Melkor is at the bottom of it. How much of that do we show? How do we handle that? Do we show the council? Do we have conversations among the Valar? Um, that's my, that's my fourth question. All right. 
those are our things for next time. So thanks very much, everybody. Um, I, uh, and uh, we will. Uh, I look forward to we, we are we are we are rapidly moving towards the uh, the, the the finale here now, um, which is great. So we'll 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 uh, we'll, we'll be back for uh, the plot really thickening next time. Any final thoughts or questions about the um, questions I have? No, okay, we seem to be good. Very well. Okay, excellent. So thanks very much, everybody. I will say thank you for listening and Godspeed.